Welcome to Maximal Being, a podcast devoted to ditching fad diets and using real science to get you healthy and feeling great. I'm Doc Mock, a GI and functional medicine doctor who harnesses the power of gut health to get you achieving your goals. And I'm Jackie P, a well-informed layman who challenges the experts and asks the questions that you want. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button or leave a comment. And now, on to the show. Hello, 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 Maximal Beans. It is I, Jackie P, your favorite layman, and I'm here with always my co-hostess with the mostest. How are you today, Doc Mock? I am doing so great, Jackie P. What's going on, Maximal Beans? Doc Mock here. Again, I'm an advanced endoscopist, functional GI doctor, and I am now practicing in Tampa, Florida, Jackie P. Whoa, big things are going on for you. Uh, so you don't miss this 20 degree weather we're having? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we got out at the right time. If you see, there's some ice behind me, but I'd like to keep it in that small picture format. And I've just yeah. been, I've been busy though. I mean, you know me, Jackie P. I can't sit still. I've been doing like house stuff, you know, like fixing fences and all that sort of thing. Wow. Wow. Well, well, more part too. Well, it's 20 degrees out and uh, I'm also on day three of, I think I might do a five-day cleanse. I thought I wouldn't be able to do it, but uh, surprisingly, uh, eating is more of a kind of like a habitual thing when, you know, you just kind of, hey, I'm bored. I'm going to go grab a snack. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm up here in Philly in nice, terrible weather, but uh, we have a great host today. I'm actually excited because, you know, this is, you know, Dr. Uh, Glenn Livingston. I'm going to go full name first. Or I'm going to go full government, and then I'm going to call you Glenn from here on out. Uh, Glenn, how are you today? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. I was looking forward to it all week. Oh, so was I. Well, I've been looking forward since we booked for so a couple months. So for the folks at home that don't know, Glenn is a uh, psychologist who has been, I mean, I watch a ton of your YouTube videos. I want you to talk about that pigeon, the psychotic pigeon uh, experiment. <laughs> okay. uh, but uh, he's the 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 spearhead of the never binge again program right all those folks out there who were eating right it's new year right so everyone is hey i'm gonna get right i'm gonna eat well i'm gonna take get you know take better care of myself and i think uh is perfectly timely for us to really get into the psychology behind air quoting if you're listening diets right and 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 why that may may not be the best for everyone and how to approach it. So uh, let's. Oh, sorry. I'm Jackie, your favorite layman. Hopefully by now I'm your favorite. I'm here to make sure uh, Glenn here and Doc Mock keep their medical terminology down to edible pieces for us regular folks <laughs> uh, can understand. Paleo, keto, vegan, and carnivore. Maybe you've tried them all, but did you have success? Are you still doing that diet? Turns out there's not just one diet right for one particular person. By understanding how your body works and the relationship behind your body's workings and these diets, you can then approach the perfect plan for you. In the Perfect Human Diet course, we talk to you about your body's inner workings and the pros and cons of each plan. We discuss how our ancestors ate and have eaten and lay a framework to tailoring a plan that is perfect for you. 
To learn more about the Perfect Human Diet course, head to MaximalBeing.com courses to find out more. And as always, I'm Doc Mock, and I'm here to maximize your health. You cannot supplement your way to health, but there are things that we need to add to our lives that can maximize our pathway to wellness. The American diet is virtually devoid of omega-3 fatty acids, which play a major role in cardiovascular disease, gut permeability, and mental health. Personally, I take omega-3s every night and iHerb is the best place for clean, natural sources of supplements. I love the ZenWise Omega-3 Fatty Acid Supplement, which is free of fish burps and good for the environment. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com slash iHerb, that's I-H-E-R-B, and enter the code B as in boy, D as in dog, B as in boy, 5528, and receive 10% off your orders for all supplements. Maximize your supplements with iHerb. Glenn, tell the folks your, a little bit of your uh, origin story and how you got from, you know, where you are, where you started to the Never Binge Again program. Um, well, I'll try to make it short. I, I think the most important thing you need to know is that I'm not just a doc who decided to work with overeaters. I'm someone who had a very serious eating problem myself. As a matter of fact, I specifically didn't work with overeaters for many, many years because I felt like I wasn't doing a good job. Um, I'm 6'4", and when I was about 17 years old, I discovered that if I worked out two or three hours a day, because I'm modestly muscular in and of itself, and if I worked out for two or three hours a day, I could eat whatever I wanted to, you know, boxes of Pop-Tarts and whole pizzas and boxes of muffins, bags of chocolate bars. If it wasn't nailed down, I ate it. And if you ever stopped at the Woodbury Country Deli and they were out of pizza and Pop-Tarts, there's a good chance I got there before you. And I I, I didn't think it was a problem. I, I felt it was more, in Doug Graham's terminology, like a superpower. Um, I, I, I spent an awful lot of time eating and sleeping and actually going to the bathroom also. But I was thin and I had a lot of energy and I was you know, young and happy and um, everything was going well. And if you fast forward a few years, when I was 22, I got married and I was going to graduate school in the Bronx and living on Long Island. So I had a two hour commute each way to see patients and go to classes. And then I got home and I would help run the business. My, my ex-wife was a um, focus group moderator with an international practice and I would help run the business for her. And then God forbid, she wanted to talk to me. I just didn't have any time to work out like I used to, like, like maybe an hour or two a week, not two hours a day. But I found that the food still had a hold on me, like it had a life of its own. And it bothered me not so much because I was gaining weight. I was gaining a little bit in the beginning, but it bothered me more because I couldn't be um, a top dog psychologist. I, like to really be a great psychologist, and I come from a family of 17 therapists. Um, to really be a great psychologist, you have to lend people your soul. It's not, it's not really an intellectual endeavor. I mean, you have to know a bunch of things and you have to kind of think things through, but but honestly, it's more about getting them to love and trust you enough to uh, think new thoughts and go to new places and try new things. And I would be sitting with suicidal adolescent and thinking, when can I get to the deli and dislodge my jaw and empty the contents of the tray into it? 
or when can I get the next pizza, you know, or, or with a couple and they've just been in a fail, like, like high risk situations. And thankfully, I never lost anybody. And out of hundreds of couples that I worked with, I only ever had two of them get divorced. But um, I wasn't 100% there. And it really, really bothered me because that's all I ever wanted to do was be a great psychologist. Coming from the family that I came from, I decided that there must be a psychological solution. And I thought, I must have a hole in my heart, metaphorically speaking. If there must be a hole in my heart, and if I could fill that hole in my heart, then I wouldn't keep trying to fill the hole in my stomach. And I went to the best psychologist in New York, and I went to um, psychiatrists and took medication, and I went to Overeaters Anonymous for a couple of years, and I went to nutritionists and dietitians, and, and I had a very soulful journey, which I don't regret because it's a part of who I am today, but it didn't really help me with the food. I get a little better and a lot worse, a little thinner, a bunch fatter. Um, kind of went on like this, trying all these different things for really decades. Um, I eventually switched the paradigm. And there were three things that caused me to switch the paradigm from love yourself thin to be like the alpha dog of your own mind and take control of this um, very powerful force that seemed to be overwhelming me previously. The first thing that convinced me to do that was that i led a dual career. My ex-wife traveled for business, so I didn't see her all that much during the week. I had a lot of time in my hands, and I, I, I started consulting for industry. So um, big food, big pharma, mostly big food. And I was on the wrong side of the war. I mean, I was helping sell sugar to kids. I was doing things that, if you remember the Marlboro man at the end of his life, he felt contrite and said he wishes he never did this. And I, I feel a little bit like that now, and I'm trying to make up for it. I was on the wrong side of the war. But I did it, and I saw what industry was doing and how they were engineering these hyperpalatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and, and, and excitotoxins and salt. And, and it's all engineered to hit the bliss point in your reptilian brain without giving you enough nutrition to feel satisfied. And the result of that is what we call addiction. That has nothing to do with the fact that my mama didn't love me enough where I was in a bad marriage or I had a hole in my heart. And for some ways, my mama didn't love me enough and I was in a bad marriage and I did have a hole in my heart, but it had nothing to do with this outside force that was taking over the lizard brain, the reptilian brain. Um, it, these are evolutionary buttons that we're not prepared to handle. There's a certain type of pleasure we're really not prepared to handle. Um, on top of that, I learned a little bit about neurology, just enough to be dangerous, Doc Mock, um, just enough to be dangerous, but I'm not, not a neurologist and I might say something incorrect. But my understanding is that the reptilian brain, if we think of it as the brainstem, it, it doesn't really know love. It's, it's more like a bad college drinking game. When it sees something in the environment, it says, do I eat it? Do I mate with it? Or do I kill it? Eat, mate, or kill. It's, it's more of the mammalian brain and the neocortex on top of that that inhibits the reptilian brain, and stop me if I'm wrong about any of this, and says, wait a minute, before you eat, mate, or kill that thing, what impact does that have on the people that you love? What impact does that have on your tribe? And what impact does that have on your longer-term goals and your aspirations and the kind of person you want to be in your character and your health and fitness aspirations? Um, and so I said, now, wait a minute. I'm spending all these years trying to love myself thin, but the part of the brain that responds to food addiction 
doesn't know love. It's more like the emergency response system that that is set up for feast and famine and you know make sure that we survive and and it's like it's like the survival drive has been co-opted or hijacked by these fat cats in white suits with mustaches that laugh all the way to the bank every time we're looking for love at the bottom of a bag or a box or a, a container, right? Okay. So very powerful forces. Um, I was I was an advertising consultant. And so I knew a lot about the advertising industry. And I saw that they were really powerful. People don't think that they respond to advertising, but you're actually more vulnerable to advertising if you think you don't respond to it because then your sales defenses are down. So they have you just where they want you. And I saw what they were doing with food. So for example, I was working with the VP of marketing for a very popular food bar manufacturer. And he told me, kind of hung his head in shame as he was leaving the company. And he said, you know, Glenn, the most profitable thing we did was to take the vitamins out of the bar and we put the money in the packaging instead. That was the most profitable thing we did because we made the packaging very diverse and multicolored and vibrant and diverse multicolored vibrant colors in nature would signal a diversity of micronutrients that were available. That's why we say eat the rainbow, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. green lettuce and blueberries and red cabbage. So red tomatoes and purple cabbage. So, So I said, so you were faking us out. And he goes, yep. But this happens across the industry. It just, it just goes on. I don't mean to single out that particular manufacturer. And I'm going to leave them nameless so I don't get sued. But, but um, that's another force that had nothing to do with my personal psychology. So the last thing that happened was I was, I was getting paid a lot of money to do these studies. I knew how to set up a – I went to a scientist practitioner program, and I knew how to do research. So I set up this study on the internet in the days when clicks were cheap. And I intercepted people while they were searching for solutions to stress. And I asked them, what are you stressed about? And what food do you turn to that you can't stop eating when you feel this stress? And I found three interesting things. First, people that were feeling lonely, brokenhearted, or depressed, like stressed about their love life life in some way, they tended to turn to chocolate. Now, that was me. That, That very much married me. So that was very interesting to me. People who were stressed at work tended to turn to salty, crunchy snacks, pretzels, chips, that kind of thing. And people who were stressed at home tended to turn to chewy, soft um, pastas, breads, pizzas, things like that. And I thought that was really fascinating. And before I was going to do anything with it, I called my mom and I said, mom, I'm trying to figure out you know, you, you go to chocolate when you're stressed. I go to chocolate when I'm stressed. How did this all get set up? What happened? Still thinking in the very psychological, like depth psychology framework. And my mom gets this horrible look on her face. She says, I'm so sorry. And I said, mom, it's okay. It's 40 years ago. This is when I was like 42 or 43. It's 40 years ago. I'm just trying to figure this out. You know, I love you. I forgive you. It doesn't matter. I just want to figure it out. So she says, well, I'm, I'm so sorry. But when you were one year old in 1965, your father, my husband, was being threatened with going to Vietnam. He was a captain in the army. They wanted to send him to Vietnam. And we were trying to get pregnant with your sister. And I was terrified that I was going to be an army widow. At the same time, your grandfather, my dad, had just gotten out of prison. And I had idolized him my whole life. He was my one salvation. And he had disappeared for about a year before you were born, the whole time you were pregnant. So between the two of them, I was horribly depressed and anxious all the time. 
And when you came running to me for love or a hug or to play, or even just for some healthy food, I didn't always have the wherewithal to, to get it for you. So I kept a bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup. You guys are too young to remember chocolate Bosco syrup, right? Yeah, you no, don't remember that. Yeah, I don't. Sorry. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be I'll be fifty eight this year. Um, so she kept it. Story, I think. No. Yeah. No, that's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> So she keeps a bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup in a little refrigerator in the floor. And she says, honey, go get your Bosco. And I would go running over and I take the Bosco out and I'd open the cap and I'd suck on the bottle and I'd go into a chocolate sugar coma and she can go right on staring at the wall, feeling depressed and anxious. So if this was a movie, this would be the eureka moment. This would be when we mm. had a big hug and a big cry, right? And then I would never have trouble with, with chocolate again. Turns out the opposite happened. I mean, it was a good conversation to have, and I, I could forgive myself more. I did find I was a little softer on myself, and I certainly learned a lot about my mom. It was a good conversation to have. But my binging, particularly on chocolate, got worse because it was like there was this voice in my head that said, you know what, Glenn? You're right. Our mama didn't love us enough, and she left a great big chocolate-sized hole in our heart. And until you can get out of the marriage and find the love of your life, you're going to have to go right and binging on chocolate. Yippee! So I kind of put this all together and I said, wait a minute. So quelling the emotional fire didn't do any good. I had this, I had the cathartic moment I'd always wanted to have. Um, I found out what caused it. It didn't matter. It actually made it worse. And then I said to myself, you know, if you think of the emotions as a fire, you can have a roaring fire in a well-contained fireplace in the living room. And that's an asset, not a liability. People gather around, they tell stories, they hug, they cry, they make memories. It's an asset, not a liability. It's the center of hearth and home. It's only when there is a hole in, in the fireplace that ashes can get out and burn it in the house. And maybe this voice of justification is creating holes in the fireplace that I have to fix. Maybe, maybe I should screw all this emotional healing stuff. Not, not that it wasn't important, but you know, maybe it's just the wrong tactic. And maybe what I need to do is dominate this voice of justification instead. So here's what I did. And it's a little bit embarrassing um, because it's not very sophisticated at all. And you guys know my credentials and all the things I've done. Um, you wouldn't expect that this was the solution I found. But I decided to call my reptilian brain, that survival drive gone wrong, whatever you want to call it, I decided to call it my inner pig. Um, you don't have to call it your inner pig to make it work. I wish I picked a different title, but I wasn't going to publish this. This is just an experiment I was doing. So I called up my inner pig and I decided that I needed to draw very clear lines in the sand that distinguish between healthy and unhealthy eating. And this goes back to the psychotic pigeons. We can talk about that in a little bit if you want to. Um, and so I, I would make a rule, like, I will never have chocolate on a weekday again. I will only ever eat chocolate on a Saturday or Sunday. That way, if I was in Starbucks on a Wednesday, and I heard a little voice in my head that said, you know what, Glenn, I know it's Wednesday, but you worked out hard enough. It would be just as easy to start tomorrow. You're not going to gain any weight. Go ahead and have a bar. Um, yippee, let's get some now. I would say, wait a minute. That's not me. That's my inner pig. And it's squealing for pig slop because <laughs> chocolate on a Wednesday is pig slop. I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. Again, I wasn't going to teach this. This was not going to be a public thing. Um, 
And what happened wasn't really a miracle, except that it eradicated the sense of confusion and powerlessness. Up until that point, I really didn't know what was causing me to change my mind so consistently because I would really think through how I was going to eat on over the weekend. And then on um, you know Monday, I would change my mind like halfway through the day. I, I really didn't know what was doing it, but but I suddenly felt like I was in power, like I could make the right choice if I wanted to. And this crazy primitive technique was giving me those extra microseconds at the moment of impulse to make that right decision. There was a lot more that I had to learn. I had to learn how to make different types of rules. And I realized that um, most people who struggle with overeating, they alternate between overeating and strict dieting. And they're actually keeping themselves on a feast and famine roller coaster. So you don't want to set the bar too high. You want to start with very simple rules that you could and would do. Um, I realized that if I was making the rules, that there, it was kind of silly to, to break them. And then I also realized that um, if I taught myself to pause at the moment of impulse, and I went through some techniques to... Um, switch from the emergency response system, which is the sympathetic nervous system, to the rest and digest system, the, the parasympathetic nervous system. Like, like, for example, once I woke up, I would take a deep breath for a count of four, and then I'd breathe out for, I'm sorry, for a count of seven, and I'd breathe out for a count of 11. I'd breathe out for longer than I breathed in. And it turns out that this seems to signal the brain, I got this from yoga, um, and also from a hypnotist that I worked with, this seems to signal the brain to say that um, there's no emergency here. And if you think about it, if we were being chased by a hungry bear, we would be breathing fast. We'd be taking as much oxygen as we can get. So we're signaling the brain that there's no emergency here. It's okay to rest and digest and think about it. And then I would write down very specifically what the pig was saying. It's okay. You worked out hard enough. It's just as easy to start tomorrow. You won't get any weight. Um, then I would take another set of 7-Eleven breaths. Um, and I, I think I said the wrong thing. I, um, Lori Hammond was the hypnotist who taught me about the 7-Eleven breaths. I don't know if I mentioned that. But I would take another. I'm sorry. Definitely heard of her. <laughs> okay. No, I, I like to give people credit where it's due. Yeah. So then I would take another 7-Eleven breath, and then I would be calm. And then I'd say, okay, why is the pig wrong? And I would look at this voice of justification, and I would logically disempower it. So for example, it's not just as easy to start tomorrow, because the principle of, principles of neuroplasticity say, what fires together wires together. If you have a craving for chocolate and you eat chocolate, you're going to have a stronger craving for chocolate tomorrow. It's also true that if you have the thought, I could just start again tomorrow, and then you reward yourself with something that produces a dopamine surge, that you're more likely to have the thought again tomorrow also. So you're more likely to think it's just as easy to start tomorrow, tomorrow. So the bottom line is, you can only ever use the present moment to be healthy if you're in a hole, stop digging. Um, so I would rationally disempower what the pig was saying. I, I did this for about eight years. I kept the journal. I came down from somewhere between 280 and 300. I stopped weighing myself at that point tonight. I hover around 215, sometimes lower, sometimes a little higher. Um, 
but everything got better. You know, my psoriasis and eczema and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I really became much less inflamed and I, I would slowly replace the cravings for junk food with cravings for healthy food. So it wasn't just that I would stop having the chocolate. I would say, okay, I probably need something. And I would go and have a kale banana smoothie, right? Or, you know, sometimes just a piece of celery would do it. But I'd ask myself, what do I authentically need? And so I just kept taking better and better care of my body. Um, after eight years, and I'm almost done, I'm sorry. After eight years, I um, I was getting divorced and I was a minor partner in a publishing company. And the CEO called me and said, Glenn, we need to write a book. You're getting divorced now. This would be a good time to write a book. Um, we need to convince other authors that we know what we're doing. And you know, I need an author I can trust to go through the marketing. Um, can you turn this journal of yours into a book? And I said, it's pretty crazy. There's this pig inside me. He says, it's okay. I turn it into a book. I send it to him. He calls me back um, a few weeks later and says, Glenn, donuts or pig slop? I don't let farm animals, I don't eat pig slop. I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And he proceeds to lose almost 100 pounds. Wow. So along wow. the way, we published it. Now we have a million readers. And um, people don't really recognize me in the bookstore uh, by name. But sometimes they come up to me and they go, pig guy. Big guy, so. Big guy. <laughs> I've definitely seen your book, for sure. What's going on, Maximal Beings? It's Doc Mock here. Many of you are returning to the gym now, but some are not going back. Regardless of what you plan, Rogue has got the right gear to fit your needs. I personally own a barbell set and love it. The black op shorts are sweat resistant and flexible for getting deep in your squats. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com Rogue for our referral link. Order three items and they ship for free. And as usual, it's Doc Mock, and I'm here to maximize your pathway to wellness. If you're stuck at home and cannot make it to the grocery store, delivery may be the best way to stay clean and healthy. Instacart is the national leader in the direct-to-home delivery service. With numerous major chains and food from smaller stores, you can get those local veggies sent directly to your doorstep. Head on over to MaximalBeing.com slash Instacart and maximize your nutrition today. Yeah, you, I mean, you touched on so much. And also, I have to say, that is a fantastic origin story. And I don't mean say fantastic to relish in your pain, but I think um, I've, I've always said on this podcast that like I, I always enjoy when someone comes from a grounded place where it's something that they experienced, right? So they can they can speak to it, right? Um, yeah. because you know, you, you did the work, you lost the weight, you change your, your, your eating habits around, but, uh, you know, let's, I guess let's just start at the top, right? Doc mock, right? Like, you know, there's uh, let's talk about dieting, right? Like, I guess that's something that a lot of folks are thinking about right now. It's the new year. People want to get in shape. Right. So dieting, right? Like what is the, 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 the psych, the psychology behind dieting and, you know, why is it that diets fail? Like, why, why is it that someone either starts a diet and quits immediately? Or is it they lose weight, and then they gain it all back? Like, let's unpack that. Like, I think a lot of that is physical. Um, and then I'll talk about the psychology. But a lot of it is physical. Because when people go on a diet, they're often trying to lose weight quickly. And I believe and I've, I've seen the full spectrum. I've, I've seen people who, 
you know, are 600 pounds and can't be without food at any moment during the day. And I've seen people who just eat a little bit beyond their own best judgment. But if you feel like you're constantly breaking a diet and you are eating beyond eating significantly beyond your own best judgment, um, you don't have to be diagnosable as a binge eater to really benefit from this, then the odds are pretty good that you're living by the dictum of the nursery rhyme that says when she was good, she was very, very good. But when she was bad, she was hard. Um, so either you're on a diet or you're going all out. There's not really a very big in-between space. And if you think about it, as we were evolving, if there were times when food and nutrition were scarce and it was hard to get calories, then when you finally came across them, it would make sense that there would be a response in the brain that says hoard them, right? So that's what I mean by the feast and famine roller coaster, where we're constantly putting ourselves in a situation where the brain feels like when we're on a diet, the brain feels like there's not enough food and calories and nutrition here. And then when you can't take it anymore, you hoard them. So I always tell people what you want to do if you want to lose weight, unless your doctor says otherwise, unless there's some urgent reason, is to flood your body with nutrition at a slight caloric deficit, maybe a pound a week, pound and a half. When people lose like two, three, four pounds a week, I find it's not sustainable. Um, unless the only, unless the way that they're doing it is by giving up all processed foods whatsoever and you know living on you know, fruits and vegetables and beans and nuts and like everything is just so nutrient dense that um, their body is not crying out for nutrition, even though it's a lower caloric level than before. So I think a lot of the the problem is physical that we go on these diets and are they're not sustainable and then we go all the way the other way. Um, the other problems are that where there's a there's an irrational squeal going on under the surface with regards to diet, which says, this doctor's diet's going to do it for us. But at the same time, the pig is saying, but probably not for the long run. So we'll do it as long as we can. And then we'll have to go find some other doctor's diet. As opposed to really thinking through, like, what, what are some very simple rules that would work for you? You can use these other diets as, um, you know, informative education, but what what are some simple rules that you can own so that your pig can't blame anybody else? The other problem, the other mythology is the idea that we should eat well 90% of the time and indulge 10% of the time. And the problem with that is that it requires making decisions all the time because you don't know which is the 90%, which is the 10% of the time. And most of the research seems to indicate that decision-making wears down our willpower. Um, there's some controversy on that, but you know, um, the more food decisions you have to make, the more likely you're going to break your diet. So it actually is better to either create hard and fast rules that make your decisions for you. Like, like I'll never have chocolate on a weekday. I'm still avoiding it most of the time, right? Um, or to there is no war. <laughs> there is no war. It's, it's better. It's better to make hard and fast rules. It's better to make hard and fast rules if you, so, so that you don't have to make your decisions. And then what tends to happen when you follow them long enough is it just becomes a part of your character. Pe- people don't realize that um, we have all sorts of unwritten rules in our mind 
that dictate how we behave at the moment of temptation already. People are very reluctant to do this. They feel like they're going to get boxed in, but um, they don't realize that they can change the rules if they really want to, and that this is just a natural human process. For example, if you go into a diner and there's a $10 bill on the table because the waitress didn't see her tip, and nobody would see you take it, and she says, I'll be right back. Um, I'm just going to get you some menus. You probably wouldn't take that $10 bill. Why? Because you have an unwritten rule that says, I don't take things that don't belong to me. No matter how tempting it is, in the moment of temptation, I'm not a thief. I don't do that. It's part of your character to resist that temptation. And you can do that otherwise. And, and I recommend that people try to set up a set of rules or resolutions or whatever you want to call them that um, that that uh, that you will follow that allow you to flood your body with nutrition at a slight caloric deficit that will eventually become part of who you are. So you're not like gritting your teeth and saying, I will never have chocolate on a, on a weekday again. You're just saying, I'm just, I'm just the kind of person who doesn't eat chocolate during the week. And it becomes kind of a, a no-brainer. What's going on, Maximal Beings? Doc Mock here. If you haven't done so already, leave us a comment and hit the subscribe button. Let your friends and family know that way we can get the word out and continue to bash the bro science.